0: You're listening to the CyberWire network, powered by N2K.
1: If, if a lot of, let's say, tech companies or or generally people are unemployed, uh, right? If tech companies have layoffs, what might end up happening is that people will have to turn to crime in order to make money.
0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Cyberwire's Hacking Humans podcast, where each week we look behind the social engineering scams, the phishing schemes, and criminal exploits that are making headlines and taking a heavy toll on organizations around the world. I'm Dave Bittner from the Cyberwire, and joining me is Joe Kerrigan from the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute. Hello, Joe. Hi, Dave got some good stories to share this week. And later in the show, Dove Lerner, he's security research lead at Cyber6Gill. We're discussing dark web market dynamics, particularly how things have been affected by inflation. All right, Joe, uh, before we dig into our stories this week, we've got a bit of follow-up here. Uh, why don't you start things off for us?
2: We do indeed. Just a reminder that if you're listening to this show the day it comes out, that next week I will be at the Grace Hopper Conference. So I invite you to come by the JHU booth and introduce yourself. Uh, of course, that's just an invitation. You can totally ignore this if you like, as most people do with my invitations <laughs> day. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. We also have a letter from a listener, and the listener writes, Hi, Dave and Joe. I have a story for you about my grandmother of 97 years old. She was tricked by scammers the other day. Very sad. I would agree. Uh, You know, These guys don't care who they go after, and they don't have a problem going after a 97-year-old woman. Hmm. Uh, But the the story continues. She lives on her own in in Stockholm, Sweden, uh, and is pretty much the least technical person that... Uh, that you have ever met the last piece of technology she purchased was a microwave oven in the nineties. Okay. So that's pretty non-technical Dave. Um, So the still
0: flashing 12, 12,
2: 12, 12. (laughs) (laughs) So the use of bank cards is an uncomfortable concept for her. Mm -hmm. Uh, Living in Sweden, you must have a debit card. As cash is increasingly not accepted. Now that's interesting. Hmm. I don't know Mm -hmm. how that would fly in the United States. Um, but in Sweden, apparently, it's it's very accepted, and you have to have mm-hmm. a debit card. So the other night, a man, a smooth voice, uh, calls her, claiming to be from the Bank Card Central. There are no such organizations. Saying that someone had withdrawn a value equivalent to about $60 from her account, and he has been tasked to help her reimburse that same amount. They spoke for 45 minutes, and he not only manages to make her reveal her PIN code, he also convinces her that a colleague will need to drop by to take photos of her jewelry collection. Hmm. A lady then rings the door and is led into the apartment. My grandmother shows her where her jewelry is kept and allows the lady to take photos. The man is still on the phone and diverts my grandmother while the lady disappears with both jewelry and bank card. She immediately hmm. realizes that she has been robbed and calls my mother for help who in turn Calls me. 45 minutes after them leaving her apartment, I blocked the bank card, but it's too late. They've already managed to withdraw a maximum amount of 1,500 United States dollars in total from four separate ATMs. It's tragic. Hmm. She is completely devastated and feels stupid for falling for their scam, especially after hearing from her friends the same day that they had tried the scam on other elderly people in the community and failed. Thanks for a good podcast. All the best. Pel or Pele. Mm. I don't know how that's pronounced. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, this is terrible. I've heard stories of other people who have lost jewelry and the the thing about losing jewelry is when when you spend time acquiring jewelry, your your plan is I'm going to pass this down to my children and my grandchildren, right? Mm-hmm, uh, and mm-hmm. and this is this is just heartbreaking. I've heard stories about this from friends of mine who've had similar situations. Uh, not not from uh, an unknown scammer, but from somebody inside, you know, like almost like an inside operator. Um, and it it's heartbreaking to me because I, I think of all the times I've I've seen people going, this was my grandmother's ring. Well, now this lady doesn't get the chance to have her grandchildren say that. Um, right. But, and I don't know right. this uh, family kind of important to me. And, you know, being able to remember family is very important to me. And this is yeah. heartbreaking. I find this very, uh, very sad indeed. So I'm sorry that this yeah. happened. Keep an eye out for it. Uh the hard thing about this is that you know, this lady is 97 years old, and, and you, you think about the time that she grew up in. Uh there was no such thing as an ATM when she was a kid or even when she was an adult for most of her adult life. ATM started mm-hmm. in the 80s, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Um yeah. that
2: was that was only 40 years ago. Uh so for she's 97. So for the vast or for the majority of her life, there were no ATMs.
0: Right, right. The thing I I think about with this, in terms of being able to forewarn your friends and relatives and and loved ones, is uh, you know, what if the the thing letting a stranger into your house? Yes. Right? Bad idea. Uh, Obviously, a a big red flag, a a bad idea, but uh, I would say remind your loved ones that before they let a stranger in their house, to uh, have someone else with them, you know, a neighbor, a friend, a loved, preferably a, a child. Now, if, if I don't know how far away this woman was from her daughter, from her grandson, or, or whatever, but yeah. um, even having more than one person uh, to be able to to first of all run it by them, right? Because that would probably have nipped this in the bud. Right. But also to have another person with you, it just never. Just thinking, particularly of a of an elderly woman. I mean, it it could have been a lot worse, and um, we're happy it wasn't. Right, but, uh, right. You know, it's another thing you could do to try to slow things down, and it could also um, put the scammers off if you say, "Oh, well, you know, yes, you can come over, but uh, I'm going to invite my son to meet you at the door." You know, they may think twice about, "Oh, you know, I'm going to have to deal with someone else." Right. Who knows? But that's
2: that's one thing that might help. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, this guy on the phone got her into a rhythm and quickly got her under his control using these yeah. techniques that we talk about from time to time, immediately scaring her with a $60 loss and trying to, and and I'm here to help. It's what I call the, the social engineering one-two punch. You've got, you've got a problem. I'm going to help you solve it. Um, mm-hmm. And it, it's remarkably effective. Uh, and in fact, it's a marketing technique. When I talk about this in my talks, I say, uh, it's a legitimate marketing technique. You think back to Steve jobs when he said, you have all this music that you can't take with you anywhere. I have an iPod and everybody went, Ooh, (laughs) I'll take the iPod. Steve.' (laughs) 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 Shut up and take my money. (laughs) Right. Exactly. This is the exact same, uh, psychological trick as marketing that marketers use and it's effective and it works really well, which is why, uh, this guy, your grandmother is not stupid you know and i understand exactly why she feels that way whenever whenever we get scammed about uh on anything we always feel i should have seen that coming but you know mm-hmm. it's you're you're not in the right frame of mind to think to to uh to defend yourself in these cases uh, this is why yeah. we say slow down stop talk to somebody
0: yeah all right well thank you for sending in that story of course we would love to hear from all of you you can email us it's hacking humans at the cyberwire.com.
2: All right, Joe, let's dig into our stories this week. Why don't you start things off for us? I will. This one comes to us from a listener named Kyle who sent this to us. And it is a blog post from Jeffrey Aptel. And uh, I have to get down into the weeds a little bit. I, I know that we try not to be a technical podcast, but uh, I do have to, I'll explain a little bit and I'll try to explain this as best I can in layman's terms. Um, but There is an issue with the web and in that the web is what we call stateless. Now, what does that mean? Uh, That means when you make a request to a web server, it opens up a communication channel and the web server will accept a communication from just about anybody. Uh, And then once you have received everything from the web server, that channel shuts down, generally speaking. Uh, now there are other things that you can keep on the back end that actually uh, establish client-server connections, but the web part of it, the HTTP or HT, uh, yeah, HTTP, that's what it is. Uh, that part is over and done with. So, if you think about other ways of logging into things, like if you think about when you uh, back in very long time ago when we we would have terminals that would connect to uh, other computers. Like uh, mm. that are very much like SSH or or even Telnet. Those were not stateless. You would open a connection and you'd stay on that connection during your entire interaction with the server. So you would have what's called a session, at where you would authenticate and you would uh, when you were done you'd, you'd close the connection and then the the uh, the session would be over. But the web mm. can't do that because every single connection to a web page has to be a new connection. So they have to have something. Uh, that maintains the session at a higher level on what's called the OSI model. And if you look up the OSI model, you can see there's the uh, different layers of connectivity. And I, I like I'm trying to do this without getting technical, so um, <laughs> it's kind of kind of difficult. But so, in other words, the the party responsible for maintaining the session is not the uh, you know the the layer of the network. It's actually the web browser maintains the connection along with the web server based on a, an agreed-upon set of data that are stored in these cookies. So this is why mm. cookies exist on a web server. Uh, now, hmm. cookies have been terribly abused <laughs> by tech companies to essentially track us and build models of us. But that's, that's just a story for another day. Um, but the, if you have the cookies, you have the session. So that brings me to this blog post from Jeffrey Aptel. Hmm. The title of the blog post is Protect Against AITM MFA Phishing Attacks Using Microsoft Technology. Uh, Hmm. So it's talking about a new set of phishing attacks. And this AITM is what they call attacker in the middle. And it is being used to bypass multi-factor authentication. Now, Hmm. in the past, I have talked about... um, Multi factor authentication. And basically, there are three different layers of it or three different types of it or levels. There is the uh, one time password that gets sent to you via an SMS message. Then there's a one time password that is uh, time based, time derived, that is, you agree upon a, uh, a seed. And based on what time it is, you'll have a different number. You've all seen these. We've all seen these. Either these are the applications on your phone, like Google Authenticator or Microsoft Authenticator, or they're also mm-hmm. the little keys that you have that you take with you, like from H, uh, uh, HID, or uh, from from uh, RSA. They the little tokens that come up with random numbers every now and then. Um, right. They're actually pseudo random numbers. But both of those are being attacked in this uh, in this phishing methodology. So, what these guys do, there are these three kits that Jeffrey is talking about here. Three phishing kits that are specifically crafted to work as proxies. To when you when you receive the phishing email, the only clue that you have that you're on a phishing email or a phishing website is the URL. Everything else looks exactly the same because the proxy is sitting in the middle acting like a, essentially a proxy web server for you. In other words, it goes out to whatever site you're being fished for and collects the web page and then passes it back to you as a served out page. And it doesn't have to do anything. And these are very common and very old technologies that are out there. They're just being used mm-hmm. maliciously now. So when you log hmm. in, it goes back to whatever service it is that you're logging into and gets logs in for you, gets the session cookies, and then... Once you you can actually continue to operate using this proxy, but at any point in time, these guys can take those session cookies and be off on their way, right? Hmm. And they can do whatever they want. It's so they have control of your session. Now let me let me ask you a question, Dave. Uh, When Hmm. you log into Gmail, how long is your session good for? The The end of time. <laughs> right. Okay. <laughs> At the end of time, that's right. That's what I'm thinking about this. You know, I I have very few websites that that when I go to they they time out. Basically, all my financial websites will eventually time out. But like my Gmail account, it right. doesn't time out. My uh my my Microsoft uh you know my Microsoft login for my personal stuff that almost never times out. I mean it's mm-hmm. it's amazing how long these things last. So if these guys can get into like your enterprise domain or whatever and they can they can steal your um they can steal your uh your session, they have a session for as long as you do. Uh it's mm. it's just it's it it's it's absolutely terrifying how this works. Now, uh there are a few ways to defend against this. And I want to talk about the the lists that Jeffrey puts in here. One is a fish-resistant multi-factor authentication solution, and he mentions like a FIDO uh, solution, which is what we talk about frequently and recommend because it's easy for the user. And the other one is a certificate-based authentication, which is also a very good means of protecting against this kind of of, uh, attack. Although um yeah I, I don't think a, fish, a certificate can be uh can be used in a uh, attacker in the middle of attack. Uh I'll have to hmm. double check that but I think it works pretty much like the same way as a Fido uh the Fido. In fact Fido is essentially certificate authentication. Uh certificate based authentication. Uh but then okay. the other things he lists here are Conditional access, right? Which where the user is coming from? Maybe the user can't access from some proxy server. Proxies are actually pretty easy to detect on the web side. On the server side, there are methods that they can use for doing that. So you can't access from a proxy. So if you're using a Microsoft 365 or a Microsoft Active Directory, he recommends uh, monitoring and protecting it with uh, Windows, Microsoft 365 Defender and I and Active Directory Identity Protection, and then build. Building in alert alerting rules, but here's here's what I want to talk about. Only one of these defenses are user level, meaning that the user is depending upon the service provider to be secure. Uh, and here's a question for you, Dave how do you how good does that usually work out for people? <laughs> I would say it's a toss up, maybe right. it's a toss up. And still, you're defending you're dependent upon them allowing you to use a FIDO key or certificate-based authentication. If they don't offer that ability, if they don't write that, if they don't integrate into the web server, you're still, there's not much you can do as a as an individual user to protect yourself against these kind of attacks. Uh, hmm. So we'll put a link to this in the show notes. This article does get pretty far down the weeds, a lot deeper than I went down. Um, so, you know, it may be, it may be, you uh, useful to our listeners to, to read it. It may not be, but, but the bottom line here is uh, you need to practice your best security hygiene, uh, particularly when it comes to phishing attacks, because there are ways around most of these multi, uh, many of the multi-factor authentication way, uh, anything that gives you a number, there's a way to get that out of you. Uh, and this is, this is one of those ways. So be mindful of it. Uh, try not to click on the phishing links that say, hey, you need to log in, uh, you know, if you're already logged in through your Gmail and you get another login, uh, that says or another email that says you need to log into your Gmail again, and you click on it and you, like, I should be logged into this. Let that be a red flag. Think about it. Be aware of this, uh, this being out there. Um, and just that—that's really your best defense is awareness here. What about a
0: hardware key? I mean, is, does that circumvent all of this? If yeah, if yeah, I'm that's using the YubiKey uh, or something like that. Yeah, a
2: YubiKey is—I'm sorry, a YubiKey is a FIDO uh alliance um product so that's the, it, it's essentially certificate based authentication so yes that will protect you that's the one thing that you can use uh but like i said you the the service provider has to implement that on their end as well uh and mm, if they haven't mm-hmm. implemented that you can buy all the yubikeys you want and <laughs> they plug them right. in and they go oh we don't know what that is.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so yeah they so have to So maybe implement. let that let that let that be a part of your decision making of who you yes. want to Indeed. Work with
2: and, that they and make don't those reuse passwords. Available. Yeah, don't reuse passwords because if that password does get compromised during the process, so remember this is a proxy, which means they have access to everything that's in your uh, in in your stream. So when you send your username and password, they're probably harvesting that as well because the certificate you're they're using is their certificate. They decode that information in order to send it on to the the service provider, so they get that. Uh, hmm. So. Don't reuse passwords on these sites either that's another defense yeah
0: all right well, we will have a link to that blog post in the show notes uh my story this week uh actually is a YouTube video Ooh. uh Dr. Jessica Barker, who is CEO of Sygenta. I'm pretty sure we've had her as a guest on our show I think we I know have. I've spoke yeah, I know I've spoken to her on cyberwire I've had the pleasure of uh meeting her in person at RSA and uh, had several interactions with her. Uh, She is uh, really uh, knows her stuff, Um, and uh, she recently posted a YouTube video highlighting some of the scams that are coming at people on the WhatsApp app uh, and how to avoid them. Hmm. Um, So WhatsApp is one of the most popular mobile messaging apps in the world. Uh, They Mm -hmm. say that they have over... 2 billion active users. Seems like a lot. Uh, But uh, so, of course, that attracts criminals. Sure. Uh, And so in this video, uh, Dr. Barker goes through some of the the prime ones that she and her colleagues at Sygenta have been tracking. Um, First one is uh, cyber criminals who are impersonating loved ones, uh, and they call these mom and dad scams. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, just as an aside, uh, Dr. Jessica is uh, British, so that's ah. why they say mum instead of mom, like a normal person. Right, yes. Uh, the, the correct <laughs> pronunci- pronunciation of, <laughs> right. of mom. Don't get me started on aluminum. Um, <laughs> <Right>. So <laughs> this Extra is where. And whatnot. <laughs> yeah, this is. Uh, we should go easy on them. They just lost their yes. queen. So, Yeah. yeah. Um, so this is a form of impersonation fraud where a cyber criminal pretends to be a loved one in order, to protect, in order to trick the relative into having them send money. So uh, they'll contact a WhatsApp user, um, say that they've lost their phone or they've got a new number, and then they'll convince them that they're in some kind of uh, need, some kind of immediate financial need, and they'll ask for cash. And of course, it's all a scam.
2: Right. This is uh, very similar to the phone calls that come in, You know, right. like the, the grandparent phone calls. It's yeah. the same scam, just on a different platform. Yeah. Uh, another one, uh, not
0: completely unrelated to what you were talking about, is a two-factor authentication scam. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is where they will uh, trigger someone to uh, get a an authentication code. So someone will try to log into, let's say if if I were trying to scam you, Joe, I would try to log into your account, which would trigger an authentication code. Then I would message you. And say, hey, uh, that code was sent to the wrong person by mistake. Uh, just send it on to me, and I'll, all will be good, <laughs> right? And so never, then you never, you send the never code. I log in using the code, and now I have your account,
2: right? Yeah, never send those Another codes one, on to somebody else. It's it's just just don't do that. It's yeah. If somebody asks you for a code that you've received via SMS, you just go, nope. That that's. You need to go in, reconfigure it, and set it up right. And that should be your answer. Yeah. And then another one that she
0: covers is, uh, they refer to as fake links and the fear of missing out. Good old FOMO. FOMO. Um, (laughs) This is uh, where they will uh, send you some links and and say that you you could uh, win a prize or get a special offer from a well-known brand. Um, Sometimes they will... Uh, play on fears. You know, they did this with COVID-19 where they'll send you a message that says you've been exposed to one of the variants. Um, Sometimes they'll, again, play on that fear of uh, missing out uh, where they'll say that, oh, there's a special version of WhatsApp that you can download. Uh, This is only going out to a few special elite people who get to test it out first. And of course, there is no special version of the app. They're just trying to get you to click through get your logon credentials and steal your account. Or possibly have you install a malicious version of the app. Absolutely. Um, So uh, I think the the usual sorts of uh, advice here uh, that we always talk about, of course, two-factor authentication is important. Mm -hmm. Uh, Don't share those verification codes, as you mentioned. Right. Um, And double-check, if someone claims to be a loved one, try to verify it in another way to give them a, an old fashioned phone call uh, and uh, to try to connect with them outside of the app with which they are trying to uh, get the request for the money.
2: Right. So when you, when you get this, they're going to say, well, I can't talk to you because I I've lost my phone. Call the number anyway and see if your loved one answers, because if your loved mm-hmm. one answers and they haven't lost their phone. <laughs> it's a good point. That's yeah. <laughs> a good point. Yeah. And you
0: can say, "Well, maybe I'll, uh, you know, maybe I'll help find your phone by calling right. it. Maybe someone I'm going to call it. It right now see if
2: anybody's picked it up. Yeah, <laughs> see if it. Because yeah, yeah I, I I can't tell you. I've I found a number of phones, and uh, usually I pick them up and I just stand around or you know w- do what I'm doing, go about what I'm doing, and that phone rings right because mm-hmm. that's the mm-hmm. first thing you do when you lose your phone. And uh, <laughs> I answer it and I go. <laughs> Hello, I found your phone, and they go, "Oh, good." And I say, "Where, where would you like me to take it?" And you know, that's right. And th- that's right. That's how it goes.
0: Yeah, I've heard folks also say that if you find uh, an iOS device, you can use uh, the uh, woman who lives inside the device, whose name I'm not going to mention, so as to right. not yeah, trigger say every that. device <laughs> within listening distance of me. But if you summon the little woman who lives inside the device and say, "Call mom," um, if you have if mom's listed in your contacts, it will call mom without having to unlock the phone. And so right. you can try to connect with the person that way. Yeah, that's good All good right, idea. well, we will have a link to Dr. Jessica Barker's uh, YouTube video here. Again, she is the CEO of Sygenta. Uh, definitely worth a look there and also worth sharing around to your friends and family. It's a, it's a good, concise guide and, uh, and one of those things. It doesn't take a lot of time, but you can get a lot out of it. So we'll have yeah, that think- in the show notes.
2: I think that's a great idea. Have, have, you know, set, put this on, on your social media pages. Go, hey, look at what Dr. Jessica Barker says. Spread this word. Yeah. And I, when people make, when people like, like Dr. Barker make videos and when Rachel Toback makes a video uh, and you see that, share it, share it with people because usually they're good videos and, um, and, and they, they convey everything in a great, like you said, concise and uh, abbreviated form. Just, to, just yeah. it's like training, Dave. It's training for the mess. <laughs> but it's fun. Right. And it's fun. And which training should be. Training should be fun. <laughs> right, right. All right, Joe,
0: uh, it is time to move on to our catch of the day.
2: Our catch of the day comes from Vlad, who writes, I have spotted an interesting email in my spam folder. Interesting, as the corrupt bank officials allegedly tried to divert payment to me, to my personal account. These scammers don't make any sense. I wonder if anyone falls for this. Well, I'm telling you, Vlad, they do fall for this. Uh, keep up the good work. I, I enjoy your podcast. Dave, uh, this is a message from the European Investment Bank, um, mm-hmm. who apparently maintains an email at gmail.com.
0: <laughs> as you do, sure. Right,
2: right. <laughs> right. All right, it goes like this.
0: Attention to fund beneficiary, we have been authorized by the European Investment Bank from London and the IMF to investigate the reason for the unnecessary delay of funds authorized by law. During our investigation, we discovered that your payment was delayed by corrupt bank officials who tried to divert your funds to your personal accounts. To prevent this dubious act, we have agreed with the European Investment Bank in London and the International Monetary Fund. We are able to manage and monitor this payment, avoid desperate situations with banks and other authorities in criminal cases. We have received an irrevocable payment guarantee for your MFI payment. We hereby inform you that the European Investment Bank has decided to reimburse you in the amount of U.S. dollars, one million dollars and transfer it to your bank account by bank transfer via. Please contact the correspondent bank secretary, Mr. Claude Yovivo jean via the email below. Be sure to contact the above bank without delay for the final release and transfer of your funds. The European Investment Bank must transfer its funds to your bank account without delay. I anticipate your urgent reply.
2: So there's a number of great things about this email. First, the English is a little bit odd, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. but you know, if you're sending this to somebody in Europe and English is not their first language, maybe that gets by you. Sure. Uh a, a couple of things here. Like I said, the uh the email is coming from a Gmail address, uh, and mm-hmm. it says European investment bank, and then p- parenthetically with the Gmail address. And then the guy yeah. they want you to email, this Claude Jean, he has a um he has a Yahoo address. <laughs> he doesn't have a, an IMF or or European Investment bank. Is there such a thing as a European investment bank? Um, Who knows? <laughs> I, I don't know. But there is something called the IMF, the International Monetary Fund. Uh, they, as far as I know, they don't do like individual banking stuff. They're like national uh, lending, I think, like lending to countries. Isn't that right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, they're not, yeah, yeah. yeah. They're not interested in your individual transactions. That's not what they no. do. But, people, <laughs> no. you know, they throw around words like International Monetary Fund. Hey, I've heard of that. Uh, I mm-hmm. didn't know these guys were looking out for me that's what this this is for so Vlad Vlad's original question does this does this work on people it does it works on people and it's actually designed to be a little far-fetched so that the people that do respond to this are the people exactly that it will work on um, yeah so but this is a good catch I like this one it's 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 got a lot of things that make me chuckle but uh, of course with most of these as with most of these things it's it's somebody trying to scam you out of uh, this is just an advanced fee scam so you're gonna say, yeah. I got a million dollars coming to me and they're like, Oh yes, you need to pay six hundred bucks to get that million dollars released to you. And then <laughs> right, right, right. after if you pay those well, six hundred bucks, all it is is more demands for money until you don't have any money or realize it's a scam. Right, right. All right. Well, our thanks to Vlad for sending that in
0: to us. Again, we would love to hear from you. You can email us. It's hackinghumans at the cyberwire.com. I recently had the pleasure of speaking with Dove Lerner. He is the security research lead at Cyber6Gill. And our conversation centers on the dark web, uh, some of the dynamics there and how they're dealing with inflation. Here's my conversation with Dove Lerner.
1: So the dark web is a huge economy, right? No one can really know the full size and scope of it. Um, but there's a tremendous amount of transactions that take place over the dark web, money that goes back and forth Um, the reason that we can't see it is because while actors write on forums they're buying something selling something markets sell things as well a lot of the transactions happen over direct messages so um, i think any researcher of the dark web needs to be humble and honest and know that there's way more happening than any uh, person could have visibility into having said that the market dynamics of the dark web two things i can say are that um, while the transactions on the dark web are, let's say consummated in cryptocurrency, meaning when actors are buying or selling, they're going to be paying in cryptocurrency, generally Bitcoin, but also Ethereum, we see a lot, prices are listed in dollars. And that's important because when a price is listed in dollars, that means that uh, it's um, resilient to the volatility of cryptocurrency. And I think that was there by design because this isn't the first time that crypto has crashed. It's also gone way up, right? So Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies are not good for being the listed price of things, right? Because (laughs) that makes them change value. So if someone's selling malware, if someone's selling access to a system, if someone's selling narcotics or weapons, the prices are listed in dollars. And that makes the dark web much more resilient to inflation or, or... Let's say fluctuations in, in cryptocurrency prices.
0: And is that something where the, the buyers and sellers uh, learn that lesson, or, or has it been set in dollars from the outset?
1: It's since set in dollars from the outset. Um, as long as I can uh, look back, items are listed in dollars. Um, I see. So, or sometimes in euros, sometimes in pounds, right? But they're listed in fiat. Very, very, very infrequently will we see something listed in Bitcoin.
0: And what is your sense in terms of what sets the prices? What sort of things do the sellers use to to come to their terms?
1: The dark web is a huge, unregulated market. And so it's really being set by supply and demand. That's what's setting the prices. So if something is very difficult to achieve, for example access to a company, right? Initial access brokers are charging thousands of dollars for access. But if something is much easier to achieve, let's say shell access to the domain, you could buy that for $10. So actually, that's one of the ways that we can tell how prevalent the particular crime is based on the pricing, right? If it's, again, something that's very, very low supply, high demand, then the price is going to be high. And if we see the price of something is very low, then we're, considering that to be uh, something that's all over the place. Um, You know, you you can find this in high supply, but low demand. So actually, one one example of this is compromised credit cards. Every year, we've seen the number of compromised credit cards in the dark web for the last, I believe, three years going down tremendously. Um, Several years ago, we had 150 million cards a year, and then it went down in 2020 to about 110 million. And then last year, it was I believe something along the lines of $50 and now it's projected to be lower. So the number of compromised credit cards is going down. However, we look at the price of a compromised credit card, and that's also going down. A year ago, it was $16 for a card, and this year it's averaging on $13 a card. So if we see the supply going down and the price going down, then we can make a conclusion that the demand is also going down. And my guess for why the demand for a compromised credit card is going down is because they're less and less usable, that the credit card issuers are becoming better at uh, detecting fraud and stopping fraud. And therefore, the chances that someone will buy a compromised credit card and be able to extract uh, value money from it are lower. So based on those data points of the number of cards and the price of a card, we can actually make a really cool conclusion about the demand.
0: Are there any types of items that, that are in high demand right now where you, where you see prices going up?
1: So we looked actually, I mean, in terms of inflation, right? We looked to see if prices are going up because of inflation. And we weren't able to find anything. I, uh, I looked just to see, you know, I looked in for compromised credit cards. And as I said, uh, the prices are continuing to go down. Um, I looked for a gram of cocaine. And I found that since January, the, the median price of one gram of cocaine has remained around $70, $80. Um, so that's fairly consistent. Um, there's no indication that there's inflation. I would say because this is a black market and sellers are selling things at very high margin, then it's less affected by inflation, right? Things things affected by inflation are generally low margin items, right? So a gallon of gas, a gallon of milk, those are things that are very sensitive to inflation. But when an actor is making 500% profit or something, so if they make 450% profit, that's still very good, right? They can can accept the blow. Um, So they don't necessarily need to raise prices. So things like malware for sale or shell access for sale, all sorts of things. We haven't really seen any effect of inflation.
0: What if, you know, for example, we head into some kind of uh, economic downturn. um, Do you expect that that will hit the dark web as well? Will will it be a a lagging
1: indicator? So that's a great question. I mean, uh on one hand, you would say if there's less money going around, uh, then people would have less money to spend um, buying and selling items, right? So uh, there's, there's less uh, capital to spend on, on malware or things like that, right? So that's one angle to look at it. But the opposite angle, I think, is also very important, where if, if a lot of, let's say, tech companies or, or generally people are unemployed, uh, right? if tech companies have layoffs, What might end up happening is that people will have to turn to crime in order to make money. It's interesting to think that maybe if, um, again, if there's higher unemployment, if we see uh, raises in layoffs and things like that, then we might see an uptick in cybercrime. Uh, Another thing to keep in mind is that crime in general, scams in general, whether cybercrime or the old, uh, you know, call someone, uh, scam over the phone, play very much on hope and fear, right? This is how scams work in social engineering. Mm. And so if there's a time with heightened uh, hope and fear, then a lot of more people might fall victim to cybercrime. The parallel that we have is during the, the crash, uh, the market crash in, the, of, in March, April 2020, right? So when COVID just hit and we had the lockdowns and this new disease and pandemic and everything, We saw a tremendous uptick in cybercrime. And not only did we see an uptick in cybercrime, we actually saw that there were, um, I believe the numbers, 44% more actors on underground forums from January 2020 to uh, March, April, right? Meaning there are more people on the dark dark web who are active and we saw upticks in cybercrime and everything from compromised RDP to money laundering services, everything that would indicate that cybercrime is spiking. We haven't seen that yet. Um, maybe we're going to see it, or maybe we're not. Right? right now, the economy is is down, but not in total free fall mode. Hopefully, we won't get there. Um, but if it does, then maybe, maybe um, that's what will happen. Again, it's hard to tell what a a, a recession will do to the dark web. We haven't really mm-hmm. seen a, a true recession during the time that the dark web has existed. Right, I mean, two thousand eight, the dark web was really just in its infancy. Uh, it's nothing like what it is now. So it's really hard to tell. To what
0: degree does law enforcement loom over the dark web, you know, if at all?
1: Um, so law enforcement is definitely watching what's going on. A lot of the uh the issues are that these markets and these actors are so there are just so many of them that law enforcement can't go after everyone. So while we saw that for example, the the federal government, the US federal government went after some of the larger ransomware groups, and those are the groups that are Stealing tens of millions of dollars from companies, hundreds of millions of dollars, um, so that will get the attention of the federal government. Um, but the typical dark web actor is not stealing tens of millions of dollars. They're stealing maybe hundreds or thousands, and there are small scams, and um, you know whether it's uh, phishing or smaller scale ransomware or malware deployment, things like that. And so law enforcement doesn't have the capacity to shut down every single dark web actor, right? These are actors who are acting anonymously, um, not in the U.S. generally. So just because law enforcement sees what's going on doesn't mean that they have the capacity to shut down all cybercrime. Obviously, these uh, forums and markets are being hosted on on Bulletproof servers. And and we've seen several examples in the last few months where um, a forum gets kicked off of a, a host and... Everyone uh, thinks that, okay, great, the forum is gone, and then it pops up a few days later somewhere else. So it's very difficult. It's a game of whack-a-mole.
0: You know, for for your average person out there who's just trying to maintain their safety and security online, to what degree should they worry about the the goings-on on the dark web?
1: For the average person, worry about the dark web just as much as you worry about the rest of cybercrime. It doesn't need to be a specific worry on its own um, mm. and use use good complex passwords don't recycle passwords don't click on email attachments that you don't know the sender and even if you know the sender be wary of things be wary of downloading uh, apps from you know, from not the App Store or apps without uh, a lot of um, you know a lot of uh, installations right these are typical, Good cyber hygiene tips that uh, work across the board. I think that's that's really the you know just use good passwords is really one of the most important things that everyone can uh, can do. Um, so yeah, the typical person doesn't really need to worry specifically about the dark web. Corporations organizations, on the other hand, absolutely need to.
2: Joe, what do you think? that you know, Dave, I haven't used this catchphrase in a long time, but that was a great interview. <laughs> <laughs> thank God, thank I've you. actually <laughs> tried to stop using that because it sounds like I said that every single time. But anyway, no, that was a really <laughs> great interview. I am I'm always absolutely fascinated by the economics of of the of the dark markets that that are out there, the nefarious, the criminal mm. markets. Uh and yeah. and Dove makes a great point here. We don't know the size of these markets. Uh, mm. people are going to make these exchanges over direct messages and they're going to be using end to end encryption chat. They're going to be using things like telegram and signal to conduct their business. And, and we're never going to see where that money goes. They don't, it's not like when they, when there's a dark market, these guys get on there and go, okay, give me your, your Bitcoin address and I'll send you send you some Bitcoin and you send me the cocaine. That's nobody does that. <laughs> right. <laughs> they, right. They have that conversation on, uh, on telegram or on signal. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I find it interesting that the prices are listed in dollars uh, and less frequently in euros and pounds. But it's nice to know the dollar is still king, Dave. Uh, <laughs> okay. But it's interesting that they do it in fiat currencies because Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies are very volatile. And these guys, you know, in the end, these guys are just like every other criminal. They, they are interested in money. They're not interested in Bitcoin. Uh, Bitcoin is just a means to an end. Um, right. And the market is just like any other market. These prices are set by market forces. And I really, really, really was interested in what he said about credit cards. They're becoming more Mm. difficult to compromise. uh, And then they're also becoming more difficult to use once they're compromised. And Dobb makes a great observation here that credit cards are becoming more scarce and their prices are still dropping. This means that demand must also be dropping. And demand must be dropping faster than supply is dropping because if demand drops at the same rate the supply drops, then the prices remain stable, but the prices are falling. Hmm. I'm, now I'm getting into the economic weeds here, Dave. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I may have mentioned this before. I was an economics major for a very brief period of time, but I really enjoyed the, <laughs> the subject matter. Um, okay. Uh, so the question becomes, you know, is, is the supply dropping because the resource is becoming harder to obtain or is supply dropping because demand is dropping? Dove says that it's both, and he's the researcher in this field. So I'm going to go with his conclusion and agree with that. It probably is both. Probably is both. Um, if prices are not going up due to inflation, uh, then prices are actually going down. That's another another point I'd like to make. That's another mm. holdover from my economics days. Uh, you know, because your <laughs> your buying power for a dollar is decreasing every time um, every time inflation rises, and high margin items can absorb profit. A lot, and there is a lot of margin in these products. That's a, a you know cocaine, any drug, any drug. The biggest cost of of producing that drug is moving it. Um, mm. You know the drugs like cocaine in particular. Uh, I, there's a a great show that's on National Geographic called Drugs Incorporated that you know shows you the outline of all these different drugs from. Uh, you know, in the first couple of seasons, they were it was awesome, and because it had it took a, a, a you know a um, a disinterested view of the economic situation and or of the of the pro the business process and the economic situation for for everybody in the supply chain of of these various drugs and i I thought it was absolutely fascinating and yeah you 're looking at a lot of human suffering uh which which is is tough to look at but if you if you can detach from that a little bit and watch I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm digressing again, uh, as I always do. Well, thanks for but sharing. I, I love that show; it's a good show. <laughs> um, but the point is that humanity is a continuum, right? And the vast majority of people will never turn to crime, but there are some people who live on the edges who would rather not be criminal, but will be if they need to be. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, there's always going to be the criminal element—the people that just go, "This is what I do," and I'm going to I'm going to do this stuff until I get caught. Uh, and then there's the people that live in that little gray area between, uh, between, uh, the rest of society. And they go, well, maybe yeah. I could be. criminal. So yeah, this will increase, uh, increase crime. Uh, and, and they're going to use things like the hope and fear, a uh, large uptakes in t- cybercrime occur when there's a large crisis and Dove cites the, the, um, pandemic. That was a huge spike in cybercrime. Uh, something else that's going to happen very soon. And it has to do with hope is, uh, and we're going to, I think we're already starting to see these kind of attacks. The, the Biden administration that has done student loan forgiveness. So, it, so a large percentage of the population that has student loans can get $10,000 or, or $20,000 forgiven. Uh, right. you are, you are absolutely going to see people reaching out to you, trying to scam you out of money for this, because that's, this is another opportunity. And these guys watch the news, they know what's going on. Uh, yeah. so if anybody calls you about that, don't listen to them. That's not how you get student loan forgiveness. Um, nobody's gonna. The government will never call you to give you money. You always have to apply for it. Uh, <laughs> law enforcement is out there, but they're not looking at the small actors. They're only, you know, these small actors that only steal hundreds of thousands of dollars. They're going after the people that steal millions of dollars. That's chump change, Dave. <laughs> The the listeners to this podcast probably do not need to specifically worry about the dark net and what's going on there in particular, just understand that it, it, that it exists. And this is where bad guys are buying and selling and interacting. Uh, It's not where they attack you from. Uh, Corporations should keep an eye on it because this is where they're going to be trading the information they steal from you. Uh, This is where they're going to be discussing that they're targeting you, but an individual person, probably not, probably not so much. uh, You know, you don't need to spend a lot of, a lot of sleepless nights worrying about the dark web. Uh, yeah, just understand that that's where the information about you is going to come from, and it's more important for you to be aware of the the actual attack vectors that you know the things we talk about on this show. Yeah, uh, and then finally, he talks about underground crypto exchanges. These the he was watching like 30, 30 some of these things, and they're all gone now. Every single one of them is gone. Again, it's market forces. People hate losing money, and bad guys are no different. Uh, if they see that their cryptocurrencies being devalued, they're going to try to turn that into fiat currency as quickly as possible. Um, I don't know how they do that with uh, with an underground exchange. Uh, you know, also, I don't know how much I would trust an underground exchange. An underground exchange is a great opportunity for an exit scam. Um, yeah. You know, sure, give me your money. I'll hold on to it and then just disappear. Uh, because as we say many times with cryptocurrency, if you don't own the keys, you don't own the crypto. Somebody else does.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, our thanks to Dov Lerner from CyberSix Guild for joining us. We do appreciate him taking the time. That is our show. We want to thank all of you for listening. We want to thank the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute for their participation. You can learn more at isi.jhu.edu. The Hacking Humans podcast is proudly produced in Maryland at the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our senior producer is Jennifer Iben. Our executive editor is Peter Kilpe. I'm Dave Bittner. And I'm Joe Kerrigan. Thanks for listening.